We'll be reading uh, two passages together from the book of Revelation. The ver- among the very last verses in the Bible, we'll be reading the first eight verses of chapter 21 and the first seven verses of chapter 22. The words will be on the screen, or you can pull out your pew Bibles or tap and swipe whichever Bible you've got with you. I would love for you to hear these words. And there's going to be some eye language. I saw, uh, that is John, who uh, the one who received this vision, who the vision was revealed to, hence the name Revelation. And so when you hear that, that's who he is speaking. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying in pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then to the beginning of chapter 22. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night, for no, they, need no, they need no lamp or light of sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, for the Lord the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent an angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. A good ending makes all the difference.
A good ending makes all the difference. Listen, a story can be riveting, but if the end is weak, it just kind of ruins the whole thing. How many of you remember the TV show Lost? Oh, my goodness. Every Wednesday, I blocked out my calendar. I'd leave church supper early just to make sure I had, like, my popcorn and everything ready. I watched every bit of that show, and I was hooked until the last few episodes absolutely ruined it. I can't... I, you can think differently than me about loss. That's perfectly fine. But I can't even go back and watch the good parts because the ending just ruined the whole thing for me. And some of y'all are Game of Thrones fans, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. The ending matters. Endings matter. How many of you have ever binge-watched a show? Okay. Okay, only a few people are willing to raise their hands, but there's a lot of people going, uh-huh, and a lot of people going, you do that all the time. Binge-watching is like the Netflix version of waking up in the middle of the night and eating everything in your kitchen all at one time. You want to do it, it feels great when you do it, and it leaves you kind of hungover afterwards in a non-alcoholic way. So last year, I think it was in July, Netflix dropped season three of its hit show, Stranger Things. And I'm kind of like a, an 80s, 90s kid. I, Goonies I watched when I was a kid. This show kind of reminds me of that. And so I was kind of excited. Did you know that within the first day, over 400,000 people watched the entire season? Before the first day was over. Listen, that is nine hours of television. Straight. People wanted to know the end so badly. And listen, I am not among those 400,000 but I'm among the others who finished it in three days because I'm getting older and I need to go to bed at some point. And I'll tell you, a good ending really makes the whole thing fantastic. Endings matter. So over the past few weeks, what we've been doing is looking at the big picture of the Bible, watching how every part of it tells one cohesive story of God's great work in the world. And we've been doing that from like a... a, a 10,000-foot view to look at the major episodes, so to speak, of the Bible. And so today, we come to the ending, the big finale, the series finale, if you will. But before we run right into it, um, I'm not going to let you click skip recap like you do on Netflix all the time. I'm going to take a pointer from one of my favorite TV shows and say it like this. Previously, on Long Story Short... Let's recap a second. We started at the beginning, which is a good place to start anything, with creation. The first episode of the story, God created a good and purposeful universe. He created people on purpose, and he said they're very good. And he created people for relationship with God and with other people. In fact, do you know how much God loves creation? That the Bible tells the story twice. If you look at the first two chapters of Genesis, there are actually two accounts of the creation story. The first one in Genesis 1 is poetic and sweeping and universal and tells this great, wonderful story of a master artist at work creating all things. The second story in Genesis 2, it zeroes in on God's relationship with people, and it takes place, do you remember where? In a garden. God loves creation so much he told the story twice. But remember that it takes place in a garden. Put a pin in that because that's foreshadowing for the season finale. And then episode two is the fall. Every story has to have a conflict. And sadly, our story has one too. God's good creation fell apart in Genesis 3. Didn't take long. 
when Adam and Eve sinned. And their sin didn't just damage themselves, it infected everything, every part of creation. And it's been spreading like a disease ever since to the world as it is to you and to me. We call this episode The Fall. But it's not just about the fall of Adam and Eve, like, hey, those sorry people many years ago, they sinned, I wish they wouldn't have. It's the story of our falling, their fall and our falling, because we all sin and fall short. But thankfully, the story's not over, and the next episode is Israel, which takes up the rest of the Old Testament to tell God did not give up on his beloved creation. Yeah, it's not like what I do when, when I make a mistake. I wish I could tell, show you like the, the deleted words file in my computer for every sermon that I try to write. It's like I write a sentence and it's bad, delete, goes in the trash can. If I wrote it all out on paper, it w- I'd have to take my garbage can to the curb like every day because I want everything to be so right. And when it's not right, I crumble it up and throw it out. And thank goodness God's not like that. Thank goodness that God's not like that. The world fell apart, but God so loved the world that, that he seeks to, he sets out on this great big rescue operation to redeem the world and bring it back into his goodness. And he begins with an unlikely family. The story of Israel begins. And through them, he promises to make them a great nation and to be their God. But he doesn't just do that for their own sake so that they can say, hey, everybody, uh, God loves me, therefore I'm great. No, no. He blessed them for the sake of other people. They are to be a light for the nations. They are blessed to be a blessing, kind of like us. And their story, of course, as any human story seems to, has its shares of of good things and bad things and mistakes and God delivering, and that takes up the story of the Old Testament. But next we turn to the New Testament and the Gospels for the third episode where it tells us about Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate answer to the fall, the ultimate answer to our brokenness. We talked about Jesus and his radical life and his controversial birth, born of a virgin, the Son of God, and how he came not just to cuddle lambs, though he likes to cuddle lambs, I'm absolutely sure, but he came to start a revolution of new life and love. Because of Jesus, he restores us to the goodness of God's creation and invites us to go on this mission with him. Jesus. Now we're coming to Sweeps Week. Last week we talked about the church. The church. Here's the big idea about the church. God empowers people to be the body of Christ to carry out the mission in the world because you know what? There's people everywhere that need Jesus. And we are a part of that mission to go make disciples. Main idea was this, that the church is not a place we go. It's the people we are. Church is not the place we go. It's the people we are. And we are still writing the next chapters of the story of the church. But now we come to the finale. All of the commercials have been all over the networks priming you for this part of the story. Will it be a cliffhanger? Will it resolve? Will so-and-so finally leave the cast and this is the only original member left? The finale. Yeah, thanks for the giggle. Appreciate that. The finale, new creation. Like any good story, 
the final episode of the Bible ties up all the loose ends from the very beginning to the end. There's nothing wasted in the Bible story. Get this. The Bible starts in a garden. And the Bible ends in a garden city. I want, if you want extra credit, I want you to do this. Sometime this week, read Genesis 2 and read Revelation 22 and note all of the similarities. God recreated Eden with a city filled with his people. It's a beautiful thing. And at the heart of the Bible story we know is Jesus who comes into the world. And at the end of the story, do you know what happens? Jesus comes again. Jesus comes again in final victory this time, fulfilling the words that we just prayed. We just prayed these words. It's like the fulfillment of the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in the beginning, God created a world and throughout the Bible, he set out to redeem it from sin. And in the end, even in the end, God doesn't go, gosh, I gave it my best faith effort. I'm out of time. Let's throw it in the scrap heap and move on. Even in the end, God does what he's done best from the beginning. He creates. He creates. In fact, this time, he recreates the world. We just read from Revelation 21, And it tells us about a new heaven and a new earth, complete with a holy city that comes down from heaven because the old order of things has passed away. God makes all things new. It's a new and perfect creation. It's the final act of the story. Now, God has given us, who are living the story, a preview of coming attractions. It's like the trailer of the summer blockbuster. God gave us a preview of coming attractions through a man named John of Patmos. Patmos because he was exiled on an island named Patmos because he was a believer in Christ, and that was a no-no for him. While he was there on the island, he had a vision from God about what was to come, about the end of the story. And he recorded that vision in a book called Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. Well, Revelation is fascinating, isn't it? It's like, I, th- I think if I want to learn all the secrets of the world, maybe I just read these 22 chapters and I'll figure it all out. And, wow, how complex and weird. There's a dragon in there. Do you know that? There's a dragon in there. What does it all mean? Revelation is a complex book, and it's piqued people's interest forever. It's filled with ancient sim- symbolism and, and imagery. And, and quite honestly, we don't always know what it all means. Like, take this for example. So we're in an election year, and you know that the symbols of two major parties are a donkey and an elephant, right? So if you were to see, like, a political cartoon somewhere and it had a donkey and an elephant talking, you wouldn't be like, hey, it's weird. You would be like, oh, this is talking about Democrats and Republicans and their interactions. Well, will people a thousand years from now know that? Or will they pick up your story about donkeys and elephants and think that donkeys and elephants talk together all the time? You see what I'm saying? And that's like these thousands of years ago, there, there are images and, and uh, things that are in the common consciousness that, that may not read to us right now, and so it can be a little bit confusing. But you've probably seen people who have it all together. They've got it figured out. Maybe you've turned on the TV and you've seen uh, big church TV churches where they have timelines across the back of it where nobody throughout all history has figured out when Jesus has returned, but this church has figured it out, and they've plotted like because of this election and this war and because somebody ate green beans this day that I know when the world's going to end. And maybe you've seen 
and even read, and even interestingly read. I'm not trying to knock it, but maybe you have seen books on bestseller shelves at the Barnes and Noble uh, that somebody finally published uh, the work to know exactly when Jesus is coming back and when the world was going to end. You maybe you've seen this. People are so fascinated with the end of the story. I think rightly so, because if new creation is coming, like we kind of yearn for that, right? My favorite was a book that came out a few years ago. And for the sake of Christian charity, I will not name the title or the author. And I will not even tell you privately if you come to me. However, the book claimed to have biblical proof that the end of the world was like coming right then because of uh, an upcoming lunar eclipse. This is what the book was about. Well, the lunar eclipse came and went. We're still here. And the author is now quite a bit richer than he was. And I looked on Amazon this week, and you can find that book at a deep discount, but only from secondhand sellers. It's hard to figure out what Revelation means. The truth is we don't know everything about it. And we could try, and it's fun. But let me tell you, we do know the most crucial things. We do know the most crucial things. We know that the witness of the revelation of the end of the story is that Jesus is coming. That God wins. That the gospel of John was right when it said a light shines in the darkness and darkness cannot overcome it. And we know that a new and perfect creation is on the way. And for us in Christ, we are in it. Praise the Lord. I love the description of new creation at the end of Revelation. It's my favorite passage in the Bible. And if it just, I'll try to read it with a straight emotional sense. The new heaven, the new earth comes. And there's a voice that cries out that God will be their God. And he says this, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Am I the only one who's had tears? Am I the only one who's had loss? Am I the only one who mourns people and things and circumstances and dreams long dead? No, I'm not. And I look at this story and I think, thank God that this is not all that there is. Thank God that though uh, my my body is starting to show that I'm approaching a certain age and so is yours, that all things are going to be made new. Thank God that the thing that I broke will be made new. Thank God that, that the tears that we cry and the mourning that we share in and the sick, do you get my point? Oh, I just want to cry out with a great song. There's a new day coming. I want to cry out with the prayer of the church that says, come Lord Jesus, I'll be ready if you'll just make it new. Do you all know the term Maranatha? You ever heard of the Maranatha singers? Okay, cool. It's a word, Maranatha. It means, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. We know that new creation is coming. We know that it's coming. It began with the birth of Jesus. And there are times, I think, that we can glimpse it. Have you ever had a moment where it just feels like heaven opened for a second? Just for a second. Maybe, maybe just an overwhelming experience of union with God that 
It's abnormally unlike another, and you say, wow, it's like a sunbeam came through the dark clouds. Or a moment when somebody prayed for you and you felt the comforting presence of God, or, or when you've served somebody and you said, this is right, this is, this is what it's about. We can see it coming through. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. If anybody is in Christ, they are new creation. And you can glimpse it. It's so beautiful. But it's not here yet. It's not here yet. The same way that we can glimpse the new creation breaking through, we can also sense just by looking around us that it ain't happened yet. And let's not externalize this. Let's get personal and be real. You can look inside of ourselves and we can recognize that new creation isn't here yet. Romans 8 says that all of creation is groaning with birth pains, anticipating new creation. It's like, it's like this broken world is, is birthing the new. It's a pregnancy metaphor. It made me remember when Amanda was pregnant with our three children. Not at the same time. They're not triplets. It's three separate times. And if you ask her, way too far apart. Um, but we had extraordinary glimpses when she was pregnant of our babies. We heard their heartbeats. We saw their ultrasound pictures. And have you ever seen an ultrasound picture? They're crazy. You can barely make out. But I swore that that baby, all, all, both of those boys looked just like me. White lines and everything. I remember late in each pregnancy, this was such a beautiful thing, uh, eighth or ninth month, when they'd kick and they'd push against her belly, and I swear to you, you could make out fingers and toes. You could make out fingers and toes. They weren't born yet. And pregnancy was hard for her. But they were, they were here in those moments. We, we had a glimpse of the coming joy. It was real for us. And new creation is like that. We can taste the end of the story, but it's not here yet. So we live in that space, that, that I'm here and not yet space. It's coming, and it's not here, but it's here. It's an in-between. So how do we live in that space? What does that mean for us today? Do we, uh, do we just sit back and let the world fall into like some dystopian hunger games because Jesus is going to fix it in the end and it doesn't matter? Or do we say, hey, new creation is for me and I'm going to build myself my own little utopia and let everybody fend for themselves? It's a big question. Like, what do we do about that? The Bible gives us some insights on how to live in this in-between space. And so it's literally just going to be for a few minutes now. I want to talk to us about this big question. How do we live? Given new creation, how do we live in the now and not yet? How do we live there? How do we live there? And the first thing, how do we live in the now and not yet? We live with hopeful expectation. Hopeful expectation. I want you to listen to this story from Jesus real quick. He tells some great stories. Uh, A couple stories I'll tell you from Matthew 25. He says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids. How many of you have ever been bridesmaids? I haven't been a bridesmaid. Nobody's asked me. Jeremy, I've met one. Let's not talk too much about that, but yeah, yeah. Um, I've never been a bridesmaid, but uh, you've got some work to do, right? Like I asked somebody in the older service, they said, I said, what's your job? They said, you've got to wear the dress and buy the dress and uh, do the bachelorette party. There's a lot of things to do. But so let's listen to these bridesmaids. There are 10 of them, giant wedding party, by the way. Somebody is saying, praise the Lord, my children didn't have 10 bridesmaids. 
But anyway, these ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. I think some of my wedding party was foolish too. But the five who were foolish, they didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the five who were wise thought enough to take extra oil. And then we'll get to the end of the story here in a minute, but Jesus concludes this by saying, So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. So the story goes like this. You've got these five wise and five foolish bridesmaids. And back in the day, bridesmaids had to do some work, and it was a little bit different. Uh, So wedding feasts were feasts, and they were usually multi-day experiences. People had to travel. And, And while people were gathering and getting together, this is what happened. So the bride's family would meet together with the groom, and they would finish negotiations about the dowry about who's going to get what and pay what for me to give my daughter to you and you to take my daughter for me, et cetera, et cetera. And and who knows how long these would go on. Uh, And I'm glad I didn't have to do that because my father-in-law is one heck of a negotiator and I'd have been in some trouble. But it goes like that. When, When the deal was complete, the bridesmaids would escort the groom to the place of the wedding. Here comes the groom. You see, it's all different. Um, In this illustration, some of the bridesmaids were wise and some were foolish. The wise ones were ready for anything. They thought, this could take a while, and so I'm going to bring extra oil just in case. The foolish ones said, nah, I know, I know Janie Jo and her mama and daddy, and, and they're going to do this quick. Well, lo and behold, midnight comes around. Here comes the groom. The foolish bridesmaids, their lamps had gone out. No extra oil to do the work that they were supposed to do. They were caught unprepared and ran out. The wise ones had anticipated the needs and they were ready for action. And they were there to receive and meet the bridegroom. They were alert. They were paying attention for what was coming. They knew what was coming and they were ready for it. And Jesus tells us to stay alert too. He calls us to live with expectation. Live with expectation. And one way we live with expectation is to have hope hopeful expectation that we know because we know the end of the story that it will not always be this way. It will not always be this way in your life. It will not always be this way in the world. It will not always hurt the way that it does. It will not always be so confusing. You will not always be overwhelmed with whatever is hurting and broken in your life because one day there will be no more tears and no more death and no more mourning and God wins the battle and God will win the battle even in you. Your battle, my battle, the battles of the earth, and the ultimate battle over darkness. We know, we live with that hope and expectation that it is true and that it is coming, and so we live with hope. And we don't say, well, goodness, that's taking a little bit too long, I give up. Everything's just going to hell in a handbasket, and I might as well live in the Hunger Games. Don't let the troubles of your life or the daily tragedies of the world overshadow the hope that you have in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ and new creation. Live with hopeful expectation. But it's more than just hope. It's also about being ready. We don't want to be like the foolish bridesmaids who were caught unprepared to do the work that they were set out to do. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Always on Jesus. He's coming, and so we need to tend our souls so that we're conditioned and ready and awake for whenever he might come that we might meet with him. We don't want to be spiritually asleep. We want to be ready. 
Now, I want you to notice that in this point, I said live with hopeful expectation. I didn't say fixation. You know, it can be fun for us to try to figure out everything in the Bible, but Jesus says, you do not know the day or hour of my return. And he's right. I don't. And I can say with fact, because it's in Scripture, and neither do you. And so instead of fixating on things that only God knows, let's live with hopeful expectation that Christ is coming. Prepare ourselves, live a holy life, and live with hope. We live with hopeful expectation. And the last thing, how do we live in the now, here and not yet? We live with urgency. So I don't know if your parents ever did this to you. I'm looking forward to my kids being old enough to do this to them. So when I was a kid, my parents would tell my brother and me, hey, look, we're going to the store. I want the kitchen clean by the time I get back. Great. And we never knew, like, which store they were going to. Were they going down to Jacksonville to, like, you know, go to Belk? Or were they going down to Walmart? Were they going to the corner store? What was happening? And we didn't know when they were coming back. So you'd better believe that the very first thing we did, the moment they left, was jumped on them dishes. You didn't want to leave the dishes until after Looney Tunes was over because they might be back by then and you'd be in trouble. We jumped right on it. And we've been entrusted with a great work. It's better than doing the dishes. Praise the Lord. I think the dishes are, there's like an eternal dishwasher in heaven. Our great work is to share the love of God with a broken world. We've got work to do. And we don't know how long we've got. And so we're called to live with a kingdom urgency. One more quick story from Jesus in the same chapter. I'll just share the beginning. He says again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And he called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Do you remember what happened? A handful of those servants made investments in that, with that money. And they, when he came back, they had more than he had given them. And they gave it to him and said, this is yours. We, we treated this well. And, and every one of those servants, he said, wow, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he gave them promotions. That's a good deal. But the, the last servant in the story, for some reason or another, just buried the money, like in a hole. He didn't do anything with it. He was afraid to invest it. He didn't know if the ma- I don't know exactly why, if he didn't think the master was going to come back or not. Uh, but the master, when he came back and he dug that dirty money out of the hole, He was furious, and he called that servant a wicked and lazy servant. He said, you could have at least, if you didn't want to do anything, you could have at least put it on the bank, in the bank, gotten me a CD with 2.1 interest or something. You did nothing. And the reality is is that God has given us a great treasure. You are alive. You are made new. You are vivified and to live eternal life through Jesus Christ, and that is a treasure beyond any treasure, and it is our job to share it with the world. If we bury it in a hole and keep it to ourselves, we miss the point. We have got to take the gospel into the world because people need Jesus. People need Jesus. I want you to think of people in your life who don't know Jesus. I can think of people in my life right now, members of my own family. Don't you want them to know the joy of salvation? Don't you want them to know the hope of eternal life? We don't know how much time we've got. We just don't. So what's stopping us? What's stopping us from sharing our story about what Jesus has done in our life? What's stopping us from asking a bold question? What's stopping us from meeting somebody's needs in the name of Jesus? Clothing somebody who would otherwise we'd want to stay away from. 
What's stopping us? We can't, now, we can't make the choice for people. We can't force people to accept Jesus. But listen, it's not a waste even if they don't. Because you've done something with your treasure. And Jesus tells us later in Matthew chapter 25 that whatever you have done for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it to me. We can't keep this to ourselves. We don't know how long we've got in the land of in-between. I don't know the timing, but I do know this. We have the most crucial task in the world while we wait. Share the gospel. Serve the world. Comfort the afflicted. Clothe the naked. Feed the hungry. And seek the lost that they might be saved. Don't bury your treasure. The master's coming. And so we live with kingdom urgency. Okay, long story short. We've got a glimpse of the end of the story. Our creator God did not abandon a fallen world. He makes it new. New creation is coming. And so we live with a hopeful expectation and a kingdom urgency. My friends, Christ is coming soon. And my prayer for all of us is that we might hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Well done. Will you pray with me? Father, you that you are not finished with us yet. We need new creation more than we can imagine. And so does this world. Father, I pray for us as we are ministering to one another today that you would send your spirit to those who need comfort. That you would encourage and even afflict those who need a step of urgency. And that you would open our eyes to ways to use this treasure of salvation so wisely that we share it and honor you. Minister to us now as we respond to your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.